Welcome back in listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have a very special guest in store for you today. Joining us, we have the writer, creator, performer, and Grammy nominee, Judy Pancoast, who's here to talk to us today about her new musical, Girl on the Moon. Judy, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. It is wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Andrew, and I am so happy to be here. I am really excited to learn more about the show Girl on the Moon as we were talking about it. It's a a musical more for middle or high school uh, productions, but it's an exciting sounding show. So why don't we just run right at it and and could you tell us a little bit about the show? Sure. I think I'll start with by telling you how I got the idea for it. I'm a theater mom, so my two daughters were involved in theater when they were in middle school and high school. The oldest, when she was in middle school, I began to notice that every time they did a production, they had many more girls involved than boys. And they often did the Shakespeare thing in reverse. They'd have girls playing the boy parts. And in fact, my girl got cast as a, a man so many times they started calling her Emma Man Coast, which she did not like. <laughs> She'll probably kill me for mentioning this, so I'm just not going to tell her that this show exists. But anyway, <laughs> so I thought, you know, they need somebody to write them a show that has great parts for girls and not so many parts for boys. So I had the idea, and I don't know why, I, I used to tell my daughters that they were lucky that they were growing up in the time that they did, because when I was a little girl, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth, Barbie could only be a nurse, she couldn't be a doctor, she could be a secretary, she could be a teacher, and she could be a stewardess, not a flight attendant, but she could never be like an astronaut. So I had that idea in my head when I thought, what if you had a girl who wanted to be an astronaut and it's the night of the moon landing. So it's 1969 and she is unaware that there are no female US astronauts. So she's all excited. She invites her best friends over for a sleepover to watch the moon landing. And that was my idea. Hmm. So I, I dashed off a first draft, partially wrote one of the songs had a bunch of my daughter's friends over and we did a read through of it. And then it literally in physical form sat on my shelf for like 15 years because I had to do the things that make me a living. And then strangely enough, I was approached. Well, I have to digress. You're not going to have to talk at all, Andrew, because I'm this whole hour just talking because my life is a very strange thing. So in, let's see, this was around 2016, I think I, in my, in my secret life, I am a horror fan. I love the horror genre and there's a writer I love. His name is Joe R. Lansdale. You've probably never heard of him, but have you ever seen the movie Bubba Hotep? No, I'm not a horror person. Well, this isn't really horror. It's just kind of weird. But anyway, he wrote that movie. And some of your listeners may know the movie Bubba Hotep. And that, so that's Joe Lansdale. And through a strange course of events, I found out that he was having a movie made of one of his novellas called Christmas with the Dead. And one of the types of music that I write and perform is Christmas music. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if I could get 
a song on the soundtrack of this low budget movie. So I went to the website for the movie and there was a place where you could write a letter to Santa Claus. I swear. I wrote to Santa and I said, dear Santa, please make my Christmas wish come true. I am a Grammy nominated singer songwriter and I would love to have a song on the, well, it ended up that I have three songs on the soundtrack of this extremely low budget movie. <laughs> that is only available on dvd on amazon you can't stream it anywhere but you can see the trailer on youtube and my one of my songs is in the trailer while a bunch of zombies are killing people you hear my my christmas song it's very ironic i love it but anyway they had i, I lived in new hampshire at the time and one of the actors in the movie coincidentally see it's all a bunch of strange things that happen coincidentally he moved from new york to portland maine because of his wife because all of us creative people know that it's really our spouses who pay the bills <laughs> so his wife went to work for a hospital the hospital up there and he had to go along with her and he organized a showing of christmas with the dead with the a nightclub a comic book store and a used bookstore so they invited Joe Lansdale and they paid for him to come up from Texas. And that night is when my life changed because he turned to me and in his Texas accent, he said, this is going to be my musical. And I said, what? He says, this is going to be my musical. And I said, are you telling me this because you want me to write the songs? And he said, yes. And so for six months, I would get these one sentence emails from him that said, I'm still thinking about that musical. And then one day I got an email from him and said, look, I'm up to my ears in alligators because I'm writing and I don't have time to do this. Would you like to take a crack at adapting the entire thing and writing the music? Flip my wig because I had never really written a musical. I mean, I wrote my little middle school thing a hundred years ago, but I hadn't done anything like this. So I said yes. And then I bought every book online and took every online course that I could find about writing musicals. And I did it. I did it. And then we had one staged reading of that, Christmas with the Dead, and then the pandemic hit. And it has been stalled ever since. And I can't do anything with it because it's, it's even though it's our collaboration and we are 50-50 on it, he is really running the show. So until he's ready to do some sort of production with it, I can't do anything on it. So what I did was I went back and I finished Girl on the Moon. And I, I had it. I, I'm really, really pleased with the way it came out. I think it was good that I had actually done another musical before I did this one. It is, you know, it's original, it's historical, it's girl power all the way because another girl who comes to the sleepover, now we're getting back to the story, who comes to the sleepover wants to be a radio DJ. And she has written to her favorite radio DJ and asked him for advice. And she got a, a reply from him and she's brought it to the sleepover. And then two of the friends are sisters who sing folk songs. They write and sing folk songs, so they're anti-war. And then the last friend, all she wants to do is be a homemaker. So she's kind of a holdover from the past. She's from a conservative family. Her brother is missing in action in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And all she wants to do is be a homemaker. And she's kind of at odds with the girls who sing the war protest songs. So all these things are going on. And in the course of the evening in the first act, our main character, Marty, finds out that there are no female astronauts. And she also finds out about the program that was actually a, a real program that was put on privately for women in the 1960s who wanted to see if they wanted to see if women could 
qualify fitness-wise to train to be astronauts. And they brought these women in and there were 13 of them who actually passed it. And they had been told that they would be brought into the training program at NASA. And some of them quit their jobs. And when they showed up at NASA, they were turned away because political things had happened in the meantime. They didn't want there to be women astronauts. And so they were turned away. And one of those women actually went up to space with Jeff Bezos last year, or maybe it was two years ago now. Yeah, she's like 87 years old and she she finally got to go to space. Oh, cool. <laughs> so so that's what the show's about. They decide that they have to stick together. And and even the girl who's conservative says, well, I may not want to do anything, but what if I have a daughter who wants to do something? Because even like even even at that point, girls couldn't play Little League in 1969. So if a girl was ta a talented athlete, she had nowhere to go. Right. You know, she couldn't play. Nine had, doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So, right. So I think it's important that girls see this and know this, that just this 50 years ago, this is what it was like for girls. And this was what their futures were like. And how many, how many strides have been made and whose shoulders they stand on. But also that given what we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, things might be taking a turn backwards, you know, so we need to remind ourselves, we need to remind these young girls that these privileges that they have are hard won, and they have to keep working at keeping those things. And there are still more advancements to be made. So my hope is that where Girl on the Moon is produced, the theater company, whether it's a school or a local theater company, will do additional things like invite women in so-called non-traditional fields to come and speak to the actors or maybe sponsor a tea, you know, tea with a tea with a female engineer, tea with a with an astronaut, whatever, you know, to kind of keep the dialogue going. Yeah. So that's that's girl on the moon. <laughs> I want to go back to this is your second musical that you've written. Yes. Has it been like developing yes. that as your second show? We've had, we had several table reads and then we never really did a staged reading. I'm trying to think whether, oh, you know what happened again, pandemic. It was, I had offered it to my local middle school for free to see what they could do with it. And then the pandemic hit, they were right in the middle of rehearsals when school closed. Mm. So we pivoted to an online production on Zoom. The same director who was gonna direct it for the middle school was already familiar with the material. This way, though, there was a one advantage is that in that we cast from all over the country. We cast girls from all over the country who are in that version of the musical. And then we did a premiere on YouTube. And from that, I got feedback. And from that, I saw what was working, what wasn't working, what songs worked, what didn't work. I got the feedback. So that was an un, uh, un usual way of developing it but but we did it and then from that from actually from that zoom show there was a theater company in ohio that decided to put it on and i licensed it to them for free too because i wanted to get video and pictures and audio and things that you know i could put on the website to, to push it and i was all set to drive to ohio when a chain hit my town <laughs> 
And we were going to go anyway, but my father-in-law was on the phone going, what if a tree falls into your house while you're gone? You can't go. So we didn't go. And then the hurricane took a turn toward Rhode Island and never even came to our town. But they did a beautiful production of it. And they did the thing where they had like tea with women in non-traditional jobs. And, and they just did a beautiful production. And I got some great video and they had great singers. And then the third production was out in California. And I did go to that. I went from Connecticut. Connecticut to California last year to see Girl on the Moon. And that was the first time that I saw it with a completely diverse cast. And it was, I cried. It, it was so beautiful. These girls, I mean, I looked at them, they're all the colors, right? All the skin colors. And they're singing this song called Strong Girls Stick Together. And they're holding hands and I'm just like, oh my God, this is more beautiful than I ever imagined, you know? And, and they loved it. There's a part in the show where one of the girls is talking, have you ever heard of gum wrapper necklaces? I bet you haven't. They, believe it or not, they do sound familiar. I think I do remember this. It was a thing in the 60s and 70s where you would take gum wrappers and you'd fold them a certain way and put them together and you could make a necklace. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I have that. I have something about that in the show. And when I got to Mojave, I got there when they were doing their dress rehearsal and one of the little girls ran up to me and she had made me one. She had looked up online how to do it and she had made me one. And I cried, you know, and I just have, my heart is in this show, Hook, Line and Sinker. I've worked so hard on it and now I'm licensing it myself, you know? So I have a website and I, I have, everything. I mean, I have a Google Drive folder. And in that folder is everything that a theater company would need to produce the show. There are rehearsal tracks, there are musical tracks, there are all, you know, scripts with the parts highlighted, there are rehearsal tracks for all the different characters, there are director's notes, there are costume suggestions. I mean, there's everything. There's even pictures of Bobby Sherman. <laughs> You don't know who Bobby Sherman was, do you? I the name sounds familiar. I'm, I'm the face. Bobby Sherman was a teen idol. He was a very cute teen idol in the yes. 1960s. And the girl that wants to be a radio DJ has a big crush on him. She's a teeny bopper. So she's always talking about Bobby Sherman. So there are pictures of Bobby Sherman. And when they did it in Mojave, they had a screen up where they showed different things about what the girls were talking about and they had that one of those pictures of bobby sherman was up and it was so cute every time she said she was so good every time she said it she'd go bobby sherman and the whole audience would laugh it was just so exciting for me to see this done and it means a lot to me because it got started through my daughter, you know, through wanting to do something for her. And I just think it's again so important, but I'm I'm having a real struggle getting it going. Well, I want to ask, I mean, you, I, you've kind of alluded to this, but what is the message or thought you're hoping the audience will take away from Girl on the Moon? Well, two things. One, that the struggle is real and that it wasn't always as easy for girls as it is now. People think it's hard for girls now. It was much harder back then. I mean, I was the girl who was told you can, you will never be a DJ on the radio because no one wants to hear the high pitched sound of a girl's voice on the radio. I was told that in 1971 by a DJ. So that's why I put that in the show. You know, I mean, 
things we didn't even I was never told I couldn't do anything because I was a girl so that came as a real shock to me you know but there were a lot of girls that I knew like athletes who couldn't go any farther with their athletic prowess other than pickup games you know back back in those days so that's one thing and the fact that we have to keep that we always have to we always have to work at keeping our rights and getting more rights the second thing is that women and girls need to stick together. As I was coming up in the radio field, because I finally broke my way into it, I had to start out doing the news and then I had to be the morning bimbo. And that is actually what I was called, the morning bimbo, the sidekick to the morning DJ. And that was in the eighties. So that wasn't really that long ago, you know, when you're the morning bimbo and you are only allowed to have one name. And a lot of women I hear on the air today still only have one name right? They're like Roxy or Suzette, you know, and they don't get a last name, but yet you hear the guys and they've all got last names. And when, when I was coming up in the radio business, they would usually be, once there started to be more female DJs, you'd have one, one token female, and you could never have two women on the air back to back. So we were like pitted against each other. And so I think it's really important. And the men were the ones doing it. They were the ones pitting the women against each other. And I think like when there's a promotion in a business and, and you're a woman and you're up against other women, there's just a tendency and I think it's fostered and no offense meant to men, but I think it's just the way it has been that women have been pitted against each other in the workplace, no matter what kind of workplace for years. And it's, it's different now. Women are supporting each other more now. And I think that's something that we really need to keep going. So that's why I have the girls realize that the only way they're gonna break these barriers is if they stick together, because mm -hmm. there is strength in unity. You know. And I didn't know that then, I understand it better now. And I think it's an important message to pass along to girls. Yes. You know. So those are the two things. My final question for this first part is, who do you hope have access to the show? And you've mentioned like, this is a production, this is a show you hope mainly is for like high schools and middle schools, but who, as an audience, who do you hope have access to it? Girls? But boys too, boys too, because even in this day and age, you know, I think we have a harder time raising boys right now, actually, than we do raising girls. Hmm. Because how many fathers will go out and play ball with their girls a lot, all right? How many fathers will take their son to a dance class? How many mothers are teaching their sons to knit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think we have a stronger uh, idea in our country of what a boy should be. More now, it's more traditional. It's It hasn't changed as much as it has changed what a girl. You can dress a baby girl in blue, but God forbid you dress a baby boy in pink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or give that little boy a doll. Even today in 2023, you're not gonna give that little boy a baby doll. Some more progressive parents will, but not as much as you'd like to think. You know, so, I, you know, I hope I wrote it from girls' point of view because that's that's what I've experienced. But I would hope that parents of mothers and and mothers of boys and girls will bring them to see it. It's not a big message there for boys, except to see what girls have had to go through.
Well, I want to I want to shift gears for the second part of this interview, and okay. I want to give the audience a little bit more of a chance to get to know you even more. And okay. I want to start by asking you what shows, composers, playwrights have inspired you, or 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 what are some of your favorites? Well, let me see now. It's gonna it's gonna be so cliche, but my absolute favorite musical is Hairspray. I can't help it. It is. It's good. It's a good show. It was it was one of the first shows that I actually saw on Broadway. The first show I saw on Broadway was a chorus line. And then I didn't go for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I saw a chorus line in the 80s because I lived in I lived in Maine. I grew up in Maine. We never got to New York. We, we never got to New York. And and then in 1985 was the was when I went to New York for a weekend with a bunch of friends and we all went to see a chorus line. And then I didn't go again until I had kids and I bought tickets for all four of us, our, our whole family to go see Hairspray and I didn't tell my husband how much I paid. <laughs> we went down for a long Thanksgiving weekend and first song, you know, good morning, Paul. He turns to me and he goes, well, that was worth whatever you paid. Just that one song was worth whatever you paid, you know? And I mean, it was just so good, you know? And it it was just so, it had the original cast and it was just amazing. And and that made me realize, I mean, you know, because I had seen like local touring productions of shows. I'd seen the Fantastics and I'd seen all those old shows, Oklahoma and all that. But Hairspray was really the first modern, even though it's set in the past, the first modern musical that I saw. And and it made me realize how joyous a musical could be and yet also still be serious, have serious themes and stuff. So so that's my absolute favorite. And I am of the camp that I love that the, the I love the movie because I am in love with John Travolta and have been since I was 16 and he's my hall pass. It was wonderful. I, you know, I had the opportunity to meet him in 2019. He actually came to the Comic Con in Boston. He was promoting a movie. Mm -hmm. It's the first time, first and only time he's ever done that. And I was hospitalized no. the day before for a bleeding ulcer. And all I did was beg the doctors and nurses to let me out. So they gave me a couple pints of blood on the day of the con. They let me out with the guarantee that I would come back. And I went to the con with my husband and the minute Travolta walked out, I started crying and I didn't stop. The whole time I talked to him, tears were pouring down my face. Oh. And I told him, I said, you know, I saw you at Lakewood Theater in Bus Stop. Do you know that show? Yes. Bus Stop. Yes. Lakewood Theater is in Maine. And on his first summer after he was on Welcome Back Cotter, he and Anita Gillette, who I'm going to see in Cabaret in a week or so, came to Maine and did bus stop. And I went to see him. And that's the first time I saw him in person. And I wrote him a fan letter at the theater in July. And in September, I got a letter, uh, uh, an envelope from California with a little, you know, color picture. And on the back, it, it was handwritten. It said, Judy, thank you for the sweet letter. Love, John Travolta. And that sealed the deal. Fan for life. And when I met him, I told him that. I said, you brought my letter all the way back to California and sent me a picture and fan for life. And it has been that way ever since. I love that. So I've sort well, of gotten, I did manage to weave Hairspray and John Travolta and Bus Stop into this conversation. Yeah, no, that was, that was well done. You know what? I can. I can go also ahead, go tell ahead. you that the first time I knew I wanted to be on stage was when my, I was in first grade and my father brought me to the local opera house to see a production of Cinderella. 
And it was not Rodgers and Hammerstein, but it was a musical. So I don't know, you know, because I used to watch the old one, the old Cinderella with Leslie Ann Warren it was in black and white. You probably don't even know that one came on TV when I was a little girl. And oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I love that. They used to come on like once a year, you know, like the Wizard of Oz. And, uh, but when I saw that show at the opera house in my hometown, I said that daddy that's what i want to do daddy that's and i never knew i never dreamed that someday i'd write musical theater but i knew that i wanted to be on stage you know well that's a perfect segue into my next question which is what is your favorite part about working in the theater my favorite part about working in the theater is writing i mean you know you get to create these characters in your mind and create dialogue for them and then see them come to life right? You see them come to life, speaking your words, embodying your character, and then you get to see how the audience responds to that. But you don't have to actually be doing it. You know what I mean? You don't have to act it. You don't have to, you get to see someone else's interpretation of your words, your songs, and you get to see the audience react to it. It's extremely moving. I can't, I can't describe it beyond that. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's, you've you've invented something and there it is alive in front of you there's nothing like it i haven't experienced anything else like it in my life and i hope to god that christmas with the dead sees an audience someday because that one is (laughs) that's got a song in it called what would you want if you were a zombie well this is a time for my favorite question and you have shared oh no with me already so i can't wait to hear what what we land on with this but what is your favorite theater memory i went to see charlie and the chocolate factory with a friend of mine on broadway you know i don't know what year it was pre-pandemic could have been 2018 could have been 2019 i don't know but we were at the last number before intermission, when I realized that John Rubenstein was playing the uncle. You know John Rubenstein? You know who yes. he is? Yep. I didn't realize it was him because of the makeup and everything. And I kept saying to myself, that voice sounds so familiar. That voice sounds so familiar. Now, this isn't really theater, but it happened in a theater. So so John Rubenstein also narrates audiobooks. And he narrates a series of audiobooks. There are like, I don't even know how many. There must be up to like 50 of these audiobooks, and the, the guy, Jonathan Kellerman, releases one a year, and John Rubenstein narrates them so well that I always feel like I'm visiting with old friends. And I've always wanted to find a way to meet him, to tell him how much I love those audiobooks, and there he was, and they were doing collections for Broadway Cares at the end of the show, so I got to go up and talk to him, and I said, I love you reading these Jonathan Kellerman books, and he's like, really? I got the feeling that, you know, this is not something that people go talk to him about. And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'm going to be recording another one of those in a couple of weeks. And so when I, when that one came out, I said to my friend, I bet he was thinking of me when he went into the studio. (laughs) So that's one. And the second one was we went to see Masterclass. You know that show? Mm -hmm. We went to see Masterclass and it had, oh God, I'm getting so senile. Snape. What's his name? Uh, uh, Alan Rickman? Yes, Alan Rickman and Jerry O'Connell. Okay. And they were fantastic. They were just fantastic. And that, but I brought my daughter, who's a freshman in high school, who, circling back to horror, is her number one favorite movie is Scream. She loves the Scream series. Jerry O'Connell was in Scream too. 
And in Scream 2, there's a scene where he jumps up on a cafeteria table and sings a song from my youth, I Think I Love You by the Partridge Family, to Sydney. Okay, so at the end of the show, we were standing outside waiting to meet. Oh, I have another, I have a third theater memory for you. We were waiting to meet him, but he came out first. And so everybody was gathered around him. They didn't have the stanchions or anything. He was just there and everybody was packed around him. Then Alec Rickman, Alan Rickman came out. When he came out, everybody just moved en masse over to him. And Jerry O'Connell was just standing there by himself. So I brought Emma over. She's 18 years old. She's a freshman in high school. We talked to him a little bit about the show. And then I say to him, will you do me a favor? He says, what? I said, will you sing I Think I Love You to Emma? And he didn't miss a beat. He looked at her and he goes, I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? And I swear to God, I looked at her and she had the same look on her face that she had when she was three and she met Cinderella at Disney World. She was just like, and again, fan for life, fan for life. A lot of people would have said, ah, you know, nah, not right here. I've met celebrities who were like that. He just did it. And so that was, I will love him forever. And then the third one is when they did the revival of that championship season and Jason Patrick, whose father wrote it, also has a horror movie connection because his dad was Father Karras in The Exorcist. Everything goes back to horror. You know, they say everything goes back to Kevin Bacon. It doesn't. It goes back to horror. <laughs> Even John Travolta was in, a, in two horror movies. But anyway, so Kiefer Sutherland was in it. And at the time, my husband and I had been watching 24. And here I am, a woman in my 50s, okay? And I had this huge crush on Kiefer Sutherland from watching him on 24. So we stu I stood, I went by myself, I couldn't get anybody to go with me. I went by myself, I'm standing outside and I had just gotten the Grammy nomination. I'm standing outside at the stanchion and I knew that Kiefer Sutherland had a seven-year-old grandson and what I was nominated for was best children's album. So I had a copy of my, my CD in a little bag and everybody was waiting for him to come out. And this woman next to me, I got start, started talking with her and I said, well, I'm not gonna ask him to sign anything. And she said, you're not, what are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna give him something. She says, you're gonna give him something. Oh, this I gotta see. So he comes out and let this be a lesson to all of you people listening who go and stand waiting for autographs. He comes out and I was watching him because I was one of the last people in the circle he made even look at people i mean they shoved their programs he signed them and shoved them back and it was like no interaction at all he gets to me i'm right in front and i said i don't want an autograph he goes oh, you don't want an autograph i said no i want to give you something he says you want to give me something and like everything stopped everybody got quiet and i said yes i said in this uh bag i have a present for your grandson it's a copy of my grammy nominated children's cd and he goes, you got nominated for a Grammy? And he throws his arms around me and kisses me right on the cheek. I swear to God. <laughs> That's oh. fantastic. Oh, I mean, it was so human. It was like the best thing. And that is why, you know, one of the reasons why I don't ask for autographs, because I read somewhere once that Bruce Willis stopped giving out autographs a long time ago. He said, if I'm going to meet a person one time, I'd rather have a human interaction with them than just sign something. And so that has been my philosophy ever since. If I meet somebody famous, I actually talk with them and I don't ask for an autograph. So, but you wanted to know like a moment on stage, right? All right. I was Kate in Kiss Me Kate, my senior year in high school. And I punched a guy, knocked his tooth out on stage.
So there you go. That's my all-time favorite. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. I actually, until the teacher, the drama director told me to really hit him because I, I had been holding back. So that night I just whacked him. It wasn't really a punch. It was a slap. And he, I, I knocked his tooth out. He told me, what? <laughs> so there oh you go. God. That's my favorite theater moment. Thank you so much for sharing those. Oh my gosh, and what a memory to end that on. Wow. <laughs> I wonder what happened to him. Are there any other projects or productions you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug besides Girl on the Moon? I will be at Don't Tell Mama on an unspecified date. <laughs> but go to my website, judypancos.com. And once the date gets set, I'll be doing my carpenters one woman show it's a tribute to the carpenters and i tell the story of how i grew up in maine as a crazed fan of the carpenters as their number one fan including how i lied to get backstage for a private audience with karen and richard carpenter when i was 14 years old well my final question is if our listeners want more information about girl on the moon about you they'd like to reach out to you how can they do that girlonthemoon.org is the website for the show. judypancos.com is my website. I'm on Twitter, but there I mostly talk about horror. My secret life. <laughs> well, because I also write horror short fiction, but that's for another another podcast another time. But that's at Judy Pancos. Instagram is at Judy Pancos, J-U-D-Y. Pan like Peter, coast like where the beach is. Judy Pancoast. And my website is judypancoast.com. And my Facebook is Judy Pancoast Music. That's my Facebook page. Andrew, this has been so much fun. I want to get a production up so I can do it again with you. And yes, yes. I was going to say, Judy, thank you for joining me. This has been a blast. It's the show is phenomenal. I, I, I haven't even seen it. I've just heard about it and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I'm going to do Thank everything you. I can on my end to help get the word out so we can get a production. And I can't wait to see your upcoming performance here in New York at Don't Tell Mama. Just, this has been amazing. And now I also have to watch some horror films just for you. So you do. Baba Hotep. don't forget Baba Hotel yeah. and watch the trailer for Christmas with the dead on YouTube. You'll hear me singing. Yes. <laughs> so, Judy, okay. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. This has been a real pleasure. You're wonderful. You're a wonderful interviewer. I wish people could see you because you have a sparkle in your eye. That's Thank that can't you. be faked. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. My guest today has been the performer, writer, creator, and Grammy nominee, Judy Pancoast, whose new show, Girl on the Moon, is ready to be produced. If you're out there, let's get it going. It's an incredible show, and we will keep you updated with when it gets produced here soon. But if you're interested, make sure you check out judypancoast.com or girlonthemoon.org so you can get a hold of the rights for the show and get it up. We'll also have all of her social media contact info that we'll be posting on the episode description as well as on our social media so make sure that you encourage your local community theaters your local school theaters to go out and get the rights and produce girl on the moon so until next time i'm andrew cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones unwrap your candies and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper thank you
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.